All of these, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, died in faith without having received the promises. But from a distance they saw and greeted them. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, we ask you to be here with us in this place at this time. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Is it true, is it true that the best way to run away from an alligator is in a zigzag pattern? And is it true that if you alternatingly leaf together the individual pages of two phone books with no other adhesive at all, that they become impossible to pull apart just due to the combined friction? These are the kinds of questions that the Mythbusters set out to answer. Now, for those of you who don't know the show, Mythbusters aired on the Discovery Channel from 2003 to 2018, and it was dedicated to, as the title says, busting or confirming myths, sort of folktale-like stories that have become received wisdom, like alligator escape routes and phone book friction, or the claim that if you sneeze with your eyes open, your eyeballs will pop out of your head. I love the show, and I own the entire series, a giant box set of 75 DVDs. Yes, it's true. I own more Mythbusters DVDs than most human beings own movies total. Uh, This is the cry for help section of the sermon. Um, But on the show, the Mythbusters test the myths and see whether or not they're true. And since I know you're curious, if you can avoid the alligator's first strike attempt, you should run away as fast as you can, which is in a straight line. (laughs) And no, your eyes won't pop out of your head if you can manage to have your eyes open when you sneeze. The Mythbusters were, in fact, able to get two interleafed phone books pulled apart, but they literally had to hook the phone books to two tanks pulling in two different directions to get the job done. So, why am I talking about the Mythbusters? Because you'll be shocked to hear that when I read this morning's assigned reading from Hebrews chapter 11, I thought immediately of a particular Mythbusters episode. As the internet, through the run of the show, became more and more of a thing, part of what the Mythbusters started doing was testing viral videos to see if they were real or had been faked. And one in particular, the one that was brought to my mind by the book of Hebrews, was called Surfing with Dynamite. Now, in a video that you can probably still find online, some young men, of course, uh, set off a certain amount of dynamite in the middle of a lake and then successfully surf on the waves caused by the explosion. Now, the Mythbusters tried their darndest, but no matter how much explosive they used, they could not generate waves big enough to surf. And do you know why? 
because the energy gets dispersed. The waves emanate from the explosion in the middle of a lake in every direction, not just one. Just like Jesus. <laughs> Expected a little bit of laughter there, goodness. My next line was, I know that sounds like a joke. You have to laugh at the jokes. It's part of the agreement here. But I want you to look at Hebrews with me. We're going we're gonna to look at Hebrews now, and we're going to see about this explosion radiating out in every direction. Now, faith, we read, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. And then we start Abraham's story of faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was old, too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The sermon this morning is going to be a really simple one. We're going to meditate briefly on this passage and try together to answer a very basic question. How were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saved? And in answering that question, how they were saved, we're going to find some good news about how we might be saved too. Now, in one sense, this basic question is an easy one. The answer is right there in front of our faces. The author of Hebrews keeps repeating it. How are they saved? By faith. Faith, we are told, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And our ancestors, these men, received approval. How? By faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, he stayed for a time. By faith, he received the power of procreation. By faith, by faith, by faith. And that's almost enough of an answer. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were saved by faith. But faith, we are now forced to ask, in what? Because we all have faith, don't we? It's just that sometimes we find that the thing in which we have placed our faith isn't worthy of it. And of course, the most common thing in which we place our faith is ourselves. And this is the exact kind of faith, faith in us, to which the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob stand in stark rebuke. Read the stories of these men again and again. When these patriarchs placed their faith in themselves, their lives 
completely fell apart. Abraham is told he's going to have a child. He places his faith in himself and has a child with Hagar because he thinks that if he's going to have any descendants, he's going to have to take control. He assumes it's going to have to come from his own natural means. He puts faith in himself. Jacob steals his brother's birthright before lying and cheating his way across the land. He too puts faith in himself. But in each case, when these men repent, when they literally turn back, take their faith off of themselves and place it back in God, the God who made them promises in the first place. When they place their faith back in God, when they repent, which means to turn back, they are rescued, redeemed, saved, made whole. God shows himself again and again to be a promise keeper. Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. When Sarah was barren and Abraham was as good as dead, Jacob becomes the father of the 12 tribes of God's family. But then Hebrews says something interesting. Though as we reflect on the stories of the patriarchs, Though we can describe the many ways in which these men, chosen of Yahweh, experienced God keeping their promises to them, Hebrews has a different emphasis and is pointing to a bigger promise. Here's Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. All of these died in faith without having received the promises. But from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. What does this mean? How can we say that Abraham died without having received the promises? He and Sarah were given Isaac. The Lord provided a ram for the sacrifice and the great family of Israel was born. Promises were kept. But if we were to read a little further and remember our principle, when in doubt, read more Bible. If we were to read more of chapter 11, we see a further tracing of Old Testament faith. Right? In our reading, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But let's keep going. Hebrews 11 continues. And all these through Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. All these. Hebrews 11 ends. Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. What is it that Abraham and his descendants didn't receive? Something even better. They never saw the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to his sinful and rebellious children. They never saw Jesus. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were strangers, foreigners on earth. They, like us, were created for eternity. And at their best moments, they knew it. Not because of something they saw, but because of a promise they had been given. Their desire was for a heavenly home. And though they couldn't have described to you the way in which this promise would be kept, their faith that it would be kept was credited to them as righteousness. They recognized their sin and called out to their God to keep his promise to them. And God did again and again keep his promise, overwhelming their sinfulness with his grace He kept the promise in many ways, but all of those many ways were sourced in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is surfing with dynamite. He is the huge explosion in the middle of the lake that sends waves radiating out in every direction. Jesus's life Death and resurrection is the detonation in the middle of history that sends salvation both forward and backward in time. That's what Hebrews is talking about. The ultimate kept promise that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never got to see. God's promise kept in Christ. Jesus' finished work on the cross is how those patriarchs were saved. And that same promise, that same finished work, saves you too. It might seem at first like this is a pretty academic teaching. It's all well and good and interesting to learn that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were saved by Jesus' redeeming work, even though they lived thousands of years before he did. Yes, They believed in God's promise by faith and then found that that faith had been placed rightly in the God who always keeps his promises. And we can see how that's good news for them. But what's the good news for us? I've got two reasons this is good news for us. First, it is good news that there is only one way of salvation. Jesus's body and blood broken and shed for sinners. Sinners who lived 2,000 years before he was born and sinners like us who live 2,000 years after he died. Because we are just like those patriarchs, aren't we? Consistently placing our faith in ourselves. We are addicted to it. And our lives, like theirs, tend to fall apart. So if we are like our forefathers in placing our faith in ourselves, let us also be like them in our repentance. Let us turn back and put our faith where it belongs, in God. Because God, unlike you, even to yourself, always keeps his promises. And his promise of salvation is kept in Jesus Christ. Such was the explosion of his death and resurrection in history. Anyone for all time who has ever been born 
or whoever will be born, who has ever been saved, or whoever will be saved, has been or will be saved only by Jesus' finished work. All sinners who call out to God for forgiveness, for him to remember his promise and to be gracious, are met by Jesus' redemption. So you can rest, and rest assured that there is no other work that needs to be done. That explosion has gone off. No remaining payment that your sin requires. No other place in which to ground your faith. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. There's good news for a second reason, too. The sheer size of the explosion. The Mythbusters couldn't even get an explosion big enough to generate a wave to surf on, no matter what they did, no matter how much dynamite they used. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, on the other hand, has created a seismic wave so big that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you and me, are all saved to eternal life. Listen. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And now listen to the results of that detonation. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Such is the nature of the cross of Christ. It shook the whole world. But most importantly, it tore the veil of separation symbolized in the temple between us sinners and a holy God. Now, on account of Christ, sinners are raised to new life and welcomed into full fellowship with Almighty God, creator of the universe. That's the kind of explosion caused by the cross of Jesus Christ. We are bowled over by it. We are filled with awe. And we cannot help but exclaim, truly, He is the Son of God. The same miracle gift, your sin given to Christ and His righteousness given to you, the same miracle that saved Abraham and Isaac and Jacob now saves you. And so just like them, and like all the saints down throughout history, it is by faith alone that you are saved. But not some disconnected, ethereal faith. Faith in a God who will keep his promise. Faith that his finished work for you, accomplished in Jesus, is enough. Believe that it is. And like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 
rest eternally in what that finished work has gained you. Salvation and eternal life in Christ's name. Amen.